It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Dave Anthony. Today, the first Army Green Beret to ever serve in Congress. Discussing wars and conflicts overseas in some of the areas where he served and fought. House Republican Michael Waltz. Now, the first area we focus on is Ukraine, where Russia continues to wage war more than 22 months after invading. In fact, it's ramping things up with the biggest aerial attack of missiles and drones in one night last week. But the U.S. may not be able to provide any more military aid to Ukraine. The bill to provide another $61 billion in assistance, is held up in the Senate as Republicans demand stricter border policies here to stop a record surge of illegal immigration. We also talked to Congressman Waltz about the situation in the Middle East where Iran-backed militants keep targeting American forces in Iraq and Syria. So with all that to talk about, the discussion was too long to fit into the regular rundown podcast on Wednesday. So here we are today playing the whole thing for you. And as always, we thank you and appreciate you being here. And we ask you, come on back every day. We have more. And now Congressman Michael Waltz from Florida on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Joining us again on the Fox News Rundown is Congressman Michael Waltz, a Republican from Florida. As we start the new year, we are dealing again with something that's been around now for almost two years, which is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And as last year ended and as 2024 started, Russia ramped up its attacks with the largest aerial assault in one night hitting several cities of Ukraine. That was last week. We had more attacks this week. And there's still an issue as to how much American support is coming in the future for Ukraine. First of all, Congressman, thank you very much. Happy New Year. Hey, Happy New Year to you. And uh, I do not think anyone will be bored uh, in 2024. It's <laughs> It's uh, there, there will be plenty going on. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, you got that right. From, from all the conflicts yeah. to the presidential campaign, which is, you know, really getting in going here this year. I mean, it's going to be a lot of things happening. And of course, as I mentioned, we're dealing with a conflict that has been around now since 2022. We're in the third calendar year, and it doesn't seem like Russia's holding back at all. I mean, they're ramping it up as they're in the wintertime. And this is really difficult to watch. Well, the conflict is clearly settled into a stalemate now. Uh, It is a war of attrition. uh, And I think the Biden administration needs to take responsibility for that. Uh, President Biden has dithered and slow rolled uh, getting the Ukrainians what they needed to to decisively win, uh, largely because of his fear of Putin. uh, and, And Biden's look, nobody wants to get into World War Three. However, uh, he has such a fear of any type of escalation. Sometimes you have to escalate to de-escalate or you have to escalate to win that now um, uh, this is going to go for the foreseeable future. Uh, And I think it is right of the Congress and the American people to ask, what's the strategy? Where is this going? 
How long is it going to take? What is and we've stopped Putin clearly from taking over all of Ukraine. But what is what is in line with our interests going forward before we sign continue to sign tens of billions of dollars uh, over to this effort? And that's where we are now in terms of the aid package in the Congress. Congressman, you, you say that the Biden administration was slow. They say that they've given billions of dollars, that they've continued to give air defense, they, they have authorized tanks, they've, they've sent over right. munitions, they've sent over all kinds of things, and they did another one in December. But now that they've done all they can, and they've, they've exhausted pretty much the resources that have already been approved by Congress. So what did he do wrong? Well, but if you, if you kind of rewind the tape, uh, remember that uh, right up front, the Ukrainians were asking for Patriot missiles, for stingers, for tanks. Uh, yes, Biden eventually gave them to them, but, you know, it was often months, if not years too late. Uh, and eventually Biden would get to, to to the answer. But it was only after months and months and months and of, of uh, the Ukrainians practically begging and losing or at least not winning on the battlefield. So I think it's clearly been from the Biden administration, a strategy to help Ukraine not lose rather than give them what they need, do it decisively, do it early so that they could win and end this thing. Uh, Now, uh, because we've kind of trickled, I mean, yeah, Biden's given it to him eventually, but he's trickled it in. Uh, We're in this long slog war of attrition. Uh, Putin believes that time is on his side. And, uh, you know, again, where is this all going and how long and how many times will Biden come back to the American people and say, give me more and more and more? But what if uh, we give for, them no more, Congressman? What if, then yeah. what? If, if Congress decides well, no think, more, what then? I think a key a key part of this is uh, are the Europeans stepping up and giving enough? Uh, They say they've given a lot of humanitarian aid, but when you look at the actual military aid, the stuff that's needed to end this thing, uh, they have given a fraction of what the U.S. has given, particularly the big economies like Germany and France and Italy. Uh, Some of the smaller ones like Poland and the Baltics have done uh, extraordinary work, but the big European economies have held way back. They still haven't lived up to 2% of their defense. I just don't think this can all be uh, on uh, the United States' shoulder, on the American taxpayer's shoulder for the foreseeable future. And for Biden to say, if you ask questions about my strategy, uh, then you're pro-Russia is ridiculous. So, uh, look, at the end of the day, I think it is fair and reasonable for Congress as the overseer of the taxpayer dollars to say you have to answer these questions in order for us to go forward. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. So what will get you to be a yes and your Republican colleagues to be a yes for more funding to Ukraine? Well, we need to see a decisive strategy that makes sense for Ukraine. It, you know, we have to we have to ask ourselves and have this debate. Are, are we going is it is it in the U.S.'s interest, uh, our national security interest to expel Russia from every single inch of Ukraine, including Crimea, uh, perhaps in the very long term? But in the short term, is that in our interest or 
is it to hold the defensive line and prevent uh, Putin from being able to take any more? Those are two very different strategies once we answer that question. And we need to have, if they have to be behind closed doors, that's fine, some real conversations about how we get to the negotiating table. Mm -hmm. Again, the question is, are we looking to end the war or perpetuate it in perpetuity, uh, which I just don't think is sustainable. And then thirdly, where, where's the burden sharing from, from our European allies in a very real way? So I think we get those answers, then, um, then we can talk about more aid. And finally, we need to be able to do both. This isn't an either or. We have to take care of our own border. Uh, and if the administration would come with some real policy changes to secure our own border, uh, to to deal with the humanitarian crisis and the national security crisis that it is right now, I think you'd see a lot more room and space to talk about helping our allies. Yeah, I know we had another record number in December, 302,000 migrants crossing the border illegally. That Those are the ones encountered. Then there's, of course, the, the gotaways. What policy do you want most of all changed? The, the policies that just a few years ago were working. Remain in Mexico while you're waiting on uh, an asylum claim. Title 42-like authorities uh, that we've had our entire history uh, where, you know, we have health screenings and other types of screenings, uh, deportations for those who do not have legitimate asylum, asylum claims. Uh, and finally, uh, we need to use what leverage we have, what President Trump used to have the Mexican government secure their southern border. Just a few years ago, the president, uh, Obrador of Mexico, had 25,000 of his own National Guard on his southern border with Central America. And now they're just waving people by the tens to hundreds of thousands right on through Mexico, right into our interior for us to, to, to deal with. So those are the changes at a minimum uh, that, that we would need to see. And once you send the signal to the rest of the world that the border is closed, it's not wide open, you'll see these migrant trains slow way down. Again, these aren't these aren't pie in the sky ideas. These are real policies that were implemented just a few years ago under the Trump administration. And the problem was a fraction of what it is today. Let's switch to a different problem. In the Middle East, with, of course, Israel's war against Hamas continuing to rage in Gaza for almost three months now, there is a continued assault on American forces stationed in Iraq and Syria. And we've had a big issue in and around the Red Sea with Iran-backed Houthi rebels attacking ships. And just on Tuesday, Maersk halted all its shipping through that area after a weekend attack on one of its ships. The U.S. got involved and sunk three Houthi boats. So... That happened, Congressman, with the international coalition the U.S. is leading already in place to try to stop all this stuff. What are we? What's going to happen? Well, the White House has to change policies as it pertains to the Houthis uh, that are firing these missiles and drones and their Iranian backers that are supplying them. Uh, so right now, our ship captains uh, out there on our Navy ships in the Red Sea, they're allowed to shoot down the missiles and the drones but they're not allowed to fire on the shooters themselves from the shoreline. So that's kind of like telling a police officer, you can dodge the bullets, uh, you can swat them down, uh, but you can't shoot back at the actual shooter uh, and take out the shooter themselves. So eventually 
one of these drones or missiles, I fear, are going to get through and and cause a catastrophic loss of one of our ships. I, I guess that's what it's going to take to get the White House to shift policy. They are so worried about escalation uh, and any type of broader conflict outside of Israel, they're actually inviting aggression because the entire region knows we're not going to hit back in a decisive way. That's why you're seeing all of our bases fired on in Iraq and Syria. That's why you're seeing our ships being fired on in the Red Sea, because they know uh, the Iranians uh, have instructed all their terrorist proxies that they're not going to get hit back. Uh, and eventually their missiles or drones will get through. The other thing, and this is why every American, aside from uh, worried about our sailors and soldiers, should care. This is going to drive the cost of oil and gas and through and all kinds of commerce through the roof. Twenty uh, percent of global trade passes through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. And if you have major international shipping companies saying you have to divert around Africa or elsewhere, uh, that's only going to add to cost and add to inflation and, and more disruption to the global economy. So you would have us firing at these militants inside Yemen. Would you carry would you take out well, these, an airstrike? These missile teams. Yeah, these missile teams, and I've I've talked to several ship captains, they know where the missiles are coming from. Uh, you hit back and take them out, uh, then you, know, you you've now eliminated at least the immediate problem. The longer term problem. Uh, is that Iran is flush with cash. Uh, we have a, This administration has essentially ignored sanctions enforcement for the last few years. Their foreign currency reserve, their oil sales, uh, as long as Tehran is flush with cash to fuel their uh, terrorist proxies, whether Hezbollah, Hamas, or the Houthis, the problem is only going to persist. That's going to be a long-term problem for Israel and the United States. So that's where we have to see a reversal. And there's other non-military means. There's cutting off the cash flow, there's cyber. Uh, there's only one port in Yemen, uh, the Hudaya port, that these um, drones and missiles and other weapons are coming to the Houthis. We could start boarding and inspecting ships there. Again, let's go back to what Reagan did. Uh, when one of our ships was hit by a, an Iranian mine, he sank five Iranian gunboats and ships, and it stopped. President Trump took out Soleimani, and it stopped. Sometimes you have to punch the bully in the mouth in order to restore stability uh, on the schoolyard, so to speak. But this administration is, is uh, they're, being, uh, they're being deterred. Authoritarians and terrorists are emboldened by perceived weakness, and that's what we're seeing. We have launched some retaliatory strikes to the attacks in Iraq and Syria, especially the one that did leave some U.S. service members injured, one critically. We did launch airstrikes after that. So we've done some, haven't we? But here's the here's the problem. The Iranians are using their proxy militias in Iraq to launch these strikes. If we only hit back at the proxies in a limited way, Iran, that's a good deal for Iran. They'll trade their their proxy militia lives for American and Israeli lives all day long. That's what the Trump administration knew. It wasn't until you hit an Iranian and their, in this case, Soleimani themselves in a way that that mattered. That's when you restore peace. Uh, and that is that's a nuance, but an important, a very important distinction. The Iran, Tehran doesn't 
they really aren't that concerned if Hezbollah takes casualties, Hamas or the Houthis or the militias in Iraq take casualties. But you start hitting Iranian intelligence officers or Quds Force or IRGC in Iraq or in Lebanon, that's a very different equation. And again, sometimes you have to escalate a bit in order to de-escalate the situation. Congressman, when you were in the Army and the military active, you, you served in Iraq, right? I served in Afghanistan, but I've been to Iraq many times. Okay, so you didn't— but I've served across the Middle East, okay. uh, Egypt, Kuwait, other places, yeah. Okay, so let me ask you. Mm -hmm. I've heard some of your colleagues say that we shouldn't even have our forces in Iraq and Syria anymore, that, that they're just targets. They may not serve much of a purpose. Do, what do you think of that? I think that's incredibly short-sighted. It sounds good. Well, let's just, let's just remove uh, uh, the target. But the problem is— and I would tell my colleagues, and I do, our forces are there to keep a lid on ISIS. And if they want to repeat what Obama did in 2011, when he just yanked everybody out with no plan to keep a lid on terrorism, what did we have? We had ISIS surging across the Middle East, inspiring attacks in the United States, launching attacks in Europe. So those they are very limited forces. They're intelligence and special operations uh, operatives and drone operators. So every time that we cheer, we've taken down another leader of ISIS and we've kept a lid on that problem. You can't launch those operations from Kansas. You have to have people forward. And I want to have those fights over there, not back here at home. Uh, so, you know, if if people just want to abandon uh, going after ISIS and let that problem fester and that cancer grow, uh, well, you know, then that's what that policy would do. So you want to stay there and be more aggressive in attacking Iran directly? Well, look, I'm not talking about, I want to be very clear so this doesn't get spun the wrong way. We're not talking about the 82nd Airborne going into Tehran. Right. But right. they have their operatives all over the Middle East. You start taking down Iranian operatives, not their militias. You start shutting down their cash. You start using cyber effectively. You start enforcing sanctions. The House of Representatives just passed a bill that would go after the port operators, the refineries and the shippers that are illegally moving Iranian oil. You start affecting the regime in a way that that counts, uh, then I think you'll see peace restored because the thing the regime cares the most about is its own stability and its money. Uh, right. And and that's what we saw after Soleimani. That's what we saw with Reagan. Uh, and that's how you have to deal with these people. Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican from Florida. Thank you very much for joining us today. All right. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.